I mean, if anything was broken, you take it to dad and he can fix it. And that was, a, that was a moment in time where my understanding of what I thought the reality was, was wrong, right? And interestingly, a couple years ago, uh, Haddon, one of my, one of my boys, um, but we had almost an identical situation. He had a broken toy, came, brought it to me, fixed it, back, back forth. And I saw his crushedness when it dawned on him daddy can't fix this. And I almost started tearing up because I realized I know what you're going through. Your, your worldview, the way you understood it has literally just changed on you. And so this lesson, this is something that, um, I think if, if some of you all have had a similar upbringing or similar teaching to what I have had, and I grew up in the church, but this is going to be a little bit different from the way we might have been raised in our view and our understanding of work. And um, so for the next 45 minutes, I mean, that, that's my hope and my prayer, is that we can have our worldview of work conform to be more accurate as to the way God has revealed it in Genesis 1 and 2. Um, we're, what we're going to be looking at is it's not a truth or reality that's hard, or secret, or hidden, or anything. It's actually quite simple. Um, but really, it, if it is going to be different from your upbringing, it's going to be just because it's contrary to the, world, the way the world teaches. It's different from what the world says the purpose of work is. And, it's con- and for that reason, it's contrary to the way many che- uh, churches or families uh, train and raise their kids. So we're going to be looking at a profound truth that is saying the created purpose of man is to glorify God by working to fill the earth with his image and likeness. And we're going to see that the passage lays out three different um, truths about this. It says, first, that God created man for this purpose. This is the purpose he created him for. He commanded him to that purpose. It's not something that we're made for and maybe you can do it or not, but there is a command to fulfill this purpose. But by the grace of God, he is the one who has provided for us in this purpose. We're not left to go figure it out on our own. So please pray with me as we get started and we look at what the book of Genesis has to reveal to us this morning. Our God and Father, we thank you that through your word, you have revealed truth. We pray that you would conform our hearts, our minds to the truth that you have revealed to us. And um, Father, I pray that uh, you would just teach us. We pray that we would be able to take what we see, apply it to our lives, and in so doing, just be even more conformed to the image of your son. We pray this in his name. Amen. So, let's go to Genesis chapter 1. We'll look at the very beginning. So, um, if you want to open up in Genesis chapter 1, we're going to start reading verse 26. And this is right after, of course, God has created the world, He's created the light, He's created the waters and the land, the animals, the the birds, the fish, put the heavenly bodies in the sky. and uh, then we come to the animals have all been created, and on, on this day, in verse 26, we find, 
Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God created man for the purpose of glorifying God by working to fill the earth with his very image and likeness. If we look here, we see that God created man in his image. So when we hear image, I want us to think biblically. Where else in scripture or in what other context do we hear image? How, how is that used? Can you think of any other instances? Not necessarily reference if you don't have it, but other contexts. Where is an image, the word image used? I'm sorry? And, and how so? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, very good, very good. And I heard something over here. An idol. Like, we shall have what? No graven images, right? And so God created man in his own image. And so this, this Hebrew word, tselem, is what it is. But that's actually what you just said. That is exactly what this is. It's a figure or a replica, or more specifically, it's often statue or an idol or a god. And so when we have the images that are um, used as idols and representatives of these gods that people worship, and we see this throughout uh, the Old Testament, this is the word that is most frequently used for this. It's that graven image, that replica, or that idol. And I grew up in South Korea, and we, we would go regularly into temples, and you would have the gilded Buddhist Buddha statues that were there, and you might have large statues, small ones, I mean, just all over, and people would come and lay food and offerings or bow down and show reverence to the image, the image that was before them. And so, um, to kind of even understand an image, there's a a passage in uh, Psalm 73, in verse 20, where it says, like a dream when one wakes, and, the, and he's going to be talking about the wicked, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them, the wicked, as an image or phantom. And so in, in this verse, you have the idea of a dream that when you wake up, at first it's a reality, and you're like, oh my, you might be startled because you think that it's real, but then after a while, you realize, oh wait, that's not real, even though it appears real, and your mind at first thought it was real, you realize, oh, that was just an image. It wasn't the actuality, but it was just something similar to that. It was like reality, but it was not reality itself. And so the image would be that, that representation, that idol or that something that would be graven after, after um, something's likeness or what might be perceived 
as the reality, but it's not what's real. It would be something that would fade away like a dream fades away as you start waking up. So you also have the fact, not only was it just the image, but it's also God creating man after his likeness. And these are very similar ideas, but they're not the exact same. The likeness has more of the idea about being a similitude, or it's made in the same manner. So these two things are similar, they have the same likeness. So when you put those two together, what you have is God saying, let us make man in our image. It's going to represent us, it's going to be that graven image of me, and that image is going to be made in a similar manner or same likeness as what I am. He is not going to be God, but he will be similar, made after me. And this is going to help us kind of understand it a little bit. When I would go to the the Buddhist temple, and somebody is bowing down to worship the idol, are they literally worshiping that golden statue? Or are they worshiping the God that the statue represents? Well, it would be, well, they're, they're not worshiping that rock. They're worshiping the spirit or the God or the deity, whatever that religion is. They're worshiping the God that is represented by that idol by that image. And so in that same way, just as the pagan creates the image to represent the deity so he can worship that deity, God has created his own image and created his image after his likeness, not to be him or replace him, but to represent that deity that's behind it. Okay? And so Um, You also have the fact God created after his image, after his likeness, and then this, of course, is a a big one. He says, and in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. So very simple, both men and women, both males and females, are made in the image and likeness of God. And so in this lesson, you know, where I'm going to be speaking of man, and whenever I speak of man, it, it's every time I, and I went through pretty much just to make sure that it was correct. So man, I'm referring to human, okay? It's not male or female, um, I'll, but I'll be using um, that word man um, rather than uh, speaking of, you know, men or women. Um, so it's really going to be the humankind. And so you could stop at this point and say, well, let's look at some applications. And there's countless applications of, um, from the truth and the reality that both men and women are made in the image of likeness of God. Um, and, you know, from this, it's, uh, you know, the lifting up or, or the exalting both of men and women on, on planes. So we, we don't uh, um, look as women are subservient to men. This is uh, the reality of why are we so pro-life? It's because of the sanctity of life, because all humans are made in the image, the likeness of God. Um, you know, of course, there's racial, there's social um, equality that, that, uh, that are important that come out of this truth and reality. But what we're going to do today is we're really going to hold and uh, focus on the fact 
that God created man for the purpose of filling the earth and glorifying him by filling the earth with his own image and likeness. So that's where we're really going to be um, focusing our attention on. And um, we're going to get at the end, we're going to uh, um, really look at the application because this is incredibly applicable for us today um, as well. So we'll, we'll, we'll definitely look at that at the end of the, the message. So not only has God created man for the purpose, but we're going to also see here that God commanded man to the purpose of glorifying him by filling the earth with his image and likeness. If you look in verse 26, it says, and God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so here, God commands them to this purpose. And God commanded them to fill the earth. He says, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. This is global domination. The plan here is for you, my image, my likeness, we have a world here and you are going to fill, spread, and cover the earth. And these are all commands for them to go do. Go be fruitful. You need to go multiply. Go fill the earth. These are things that you can obey or disobey. These are commands that they are called to do. But notice how it starts. Right before the commands, we see where it says, God blessed them. The first verb we come to in, in this sentence is not man being told to go, but it's God blessing. God is the one who blessed them and then said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So I want to try to do a little activity, see if you guys go where I did. When we come to the blessing of God and children and multiplying and filling, where do we go? Where should the good Bible Christian go when we talk about filling our quivers by the blessing of children? I went to Psalm 127, where like arrows in the hands of the warrior, so is the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them, right? The problem is I then went and started looking there, and that's actually a totally different word. So the word blessed there is actually a noun, esher, Different word, not applicable. God does bless us. Children are blessing. That's great. But that's not actually what he's talking about here in Genesis 1. So if you started to go there, come back with me because I went there and then I turned around and came back. But it, it was a great encouragement while I was there again because we have a full quiver, right? <laughs> so, and you know, I'm looking forward to the continued blessing from them. So, but we'll stay on track here. So this right here, the, ver- the word that we find in, in uh, Genesis 1, this is a verb that is done by God, Asher, or Asher, totally different word than what we have in in 127. And we actually can stay in Genesis 1, and we see another example of this being, being used. And so in verse 22, so look up a few more verses, we're going to find actually a very similar pattern. It says, God blessed the fish and the birds, and he said, be fruitful and multiply. What does he tell them to do? Fill the waters and fill the earth. 
God blesses the fish and the birds and then gives them that same command, be fruitful, multiply, and fill. And then also in Genesis 26, and, and this would be one to turn to. Um, if, if you flip over a few chapters, Genesis 26, and this is right after Esau has just sold his birthright to his brother for like a bowl of boiled beans, right? Well, right after this happened, we actually have a famine in the land. And Isaac gathers up his family. He does what I guess Abraham and his children do, and they go to Egypt. <laughs> There's a famine, so let's, let's leave the land. And in verse 3, this is where I want to look. So Genesis 26, verse 3. God says, don't go to Egypt. He tells them, sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and will bless you. This is the Genesis 1 blessing. I will be with you and I will bless you. For to you and to your offspring, I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham, your father. And then what does he say? And I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven. And I will give to your offspring all these lands, and in your offspring, all the nations of the world shall be blessed. This is the same word. Two different times in these verses, the same Genesis 1 blessing. I will bless, and through you, the world will be blessed by me. This is the Genesis 1 blessing. But notice, in this blessing, who is doing the action? It says, God is the one that does the blessing. God is the one who does the multiplying. God is the one who's doing the action. Just like we have with the birds and the fish in Genesis 1.22, God blesses and then he gives that command, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. You have that same reality coming towards man where God says to Adam and Eve, to man and woman, I have blessed you I bless you, now be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So this right here, and, and this is kind of interesting, the, the word, it actually um, can also mean kneeling, and so often is done if I was going to bless someone who is over me, I might kneel and give blessing to that person, and um, so the um, you actually have the, the word sometimes translated as kneeling, but you know, obviously um, here God's not kneeling before them, but what is he doing? He is blessing them, and how does he bless them? By the fulfillment of doing what he does as he often does here, which is commanding and then providing for them to multiply and fill the earth, to be fruitful. And this lines up um, very much with um, the truth of what we see elsewhere in Scripture, including Psalm 127, where the children are the blessing from the Lord. They aren't something that man just goes and does himself, but they are a gift that, that comes from God. And so when you have um, God, God commanding Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. It's all within this context of he is the one 
who is actually blessing them, and by implication of what we find elsewhere, he's also the one who's going to be doing um, the work needed for that to be fulfilled. So God commands man to be fruitful, to multiply, and to fill the earth. But notice what else he also commands them to do. He says, um, God commanded to subdue the earth. Now, how many of you all have ever heard the phrase, put the kibosh on something, right? And, and it's, uh, I, I feel, I don't know, I feel like that might be kind of like maybe my grandmother's word or something. I mean, we don't use it very much today. Maybe it's my parents, I'm not sure. But I'm familiar, it's close enough I'm familiar with it. But it's this idea, okay, you, you're going to stop it. You're, you're going to stop it in its tracks. So believe it or not, that's actually this word right here, kibosh, this is the word that they're being called to do. So God commanded man to be fruitful, multiply, to fill the earth, to subdue the earth, to kibosh. And what this is, it's actually bring it into subjugation. And so you also have it used at times to bring it into bondage or slavery. So you have a world here that is in need of being brought into subjugation, being brought into bondage or slavery. This is the idea, and we often think, okay, God created this world, right? What did he do? He created the Garden of Eden, and oh, Adam and Eve, they had this lush place. But right away, what does God do? He tells them there is a world in need of being brought under subjugation. Having, you know, being kiboshed, if you want to put it that way. And so this is what God calls them to do. They are to go and stamp out anything in this world that is not under the order underneath you. They are to kibosh, to rule, to subdue this earth. But he also commanded them to have dominion over every living thing. So it was to subdue the earth, but also have dominion over the things that are living in this earth. And this is actually kind of a neat idea. Um, I've got a fly that keeps <laughs> flying around here, sorry. Um, so having dominion, this is actually ruling, or as the word would imply, dominating, but it also would be used to scrape out or to carve out. And so... Um, you have the living things that are needing to be ruled over. You are to have dominion, but even the ruling has the idea of you having to go and carve out or scrape out your rule over them. It's not going to be Noah's Ark where they all just come and lay down in front of you. There's actually work that's going to take place for you to be able to have dominion over these animals. So... Right at the very beginning, God calls them to tasks that are going to be hard. You have a wild world, you have wild animals, and they are to go out, glorify God by scraping, working, you know, having the dominion over, bringing it underneath your subjection so that you can then fill the earth with my image and my likeness. So remember back to the pagan that we were talking about, where he creates an image or an idol, and how he doesn't worship the idol itself, but it's worshiping the deity behind there. 
But here we have God who is commanding Adam and Eve to work, to scrape out, to fill the earth with his own images, his representatives, who he himself is creating, though. He is the one who's doing the blessing and the creating that allows them to do that. And so, ultimately, though, it's not again, and we mentioned this, it's not where God created them for this task and then said, go do it. But ultimately, he is the one who actually provides for them to be able to do the task which he commanded. In Genesis 20, um, 129, you can read this with me, where it says, And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit, and you shall have them for food. So here's the first piece where we see where God is actually going to be providing for man and their purpose of working and filling the earth with his image. It says, God, God provided them for the needs of where they would be going. And notice here, it says, every plant yielding seed, and where, it, where are these plants that are yielding seed which will be good for food for them? Where does verse 29 say these are being placed? Is it in the garden? Yeah, it's on the face of the earth. So here's a question. Why would God fill the face of the earth with food for a man and a woman who've been placed in a garden that has everything that they need? Why would God then fill the whole face of the earth with it? Well, the answer is, this is like pre-placed drop shipments for the troops that are going to be coming someday, right? We are going to have your offspring that you have been faithful to multiply. They are going to come, and when they do come and arrive, I've already provided for them the food that they're going to need generations from now. This is pre-placed. I, mean, I guess you could think of it like if we're going to do the Mars thing, what are they going to need? They're going to need to pre-place that food on Mars so that the people can survive. This is what God has done over the face of the earth. He is giving them a task, but he's providing them. They're not going to have to figure this out themselves. But look in uh, um, verse 31. You have um, where it says, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and morning the sixth day. So God's, and, and this is something we're all probably familiar with, God saw everything that he had made and it was very good. God created a man and a woman in a wild world in, the, in need of subjugation. They needed to bring it into bondage. And after creating all of these things, he said, this world in need of your work to subdue and fill is very good. And at this point, what we're going to find is God is actually going to step back from what, what he had just said in, in chapter 1 
And he's going to give a little bit more specific detail in chapter 2 of exactly how he created man. And this is where we find um, the, the garden um, that he places them in. So let's look in chapter 2, verse 27. I mean, verse uh, 7. Sorry. So chapter 2, verse 7. And we're going to read here, um, read through verse 12, and then we'll hop to verse 15. Um, and I've got to tell you guys, this is actually starting to get to some of my favorite part. This, this gets fun. So, then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden and in the east, and there he put a man, the man who he had formed, and out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. And the name of the first is the Pishon, and it's the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good, and delium and onyx stone are there. Verse 15, and the Lord God took man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. So not only did God provide for the needs of man, but we're going to see here that he also provides an example for man to follow. So let's kind of look at, at how God did his creating. So first of all, God formed man. Just as the potter takes a lump of clay and forms it, he uses skill to work that clay. This is how God formed man. And this is the same word, actually, that's used in Jeremiah 1.5, where it says, I knit you together. I formed you in your mother's womb. This is work and effort from God. Could he have spoken it? Yes. But what did he do? He formed. But God also planted. He planted a garden. He didn't speak it. But he made to spring up. He planted and made to spring up. God provided for man by doing the work himself. And then what he did was to give them an example, he provided them a work site. Now, I'm going to hop over to my kids. And there, this might have been three years ago or something like that. Um, I, I bought at Lowe's one of those fire pits um, that put on your back porch, you don't have to worry about burning the house down because it contains it. And I took the kids outside, gave them like maybe a wrench and a screwdriver or something like that. And I said, here you guys go. And man, they had a blast for an hour. They were back there working and then came back and they were done in a little bit. And they had built that fire pit and I had to go back and tighten up some bolts and everything like that. But I just, I intentionally, I gave them this pit, looked relatively, you know, something that they can do. And I walked away. I was expecting to have to fix it. No, they did it. They actually did a good job. What I was doing, I was creating and giving them an opportunity to be able to work and learn how to use the tools and how to do these things. And they loved it. They did it. They did a great job. And this is maybe even kind of an idea about what God was doing with man. So he has created this garden 
I'm going to place you in this garden, but notice this garden is not a place where you get to sit on fluffy plants and have a monkey feed you grapes or something like that, right? What God has them to do, he gives them this work site in the Garden of Eden, and he puts every um, every tree that is pleasing to the side and good for food, but what he tells them to do is to cultivate or work the garden. This is to till, to labor. This is what that cultivate or work means. They are to keep the garden. Keeping, this is the same, same idea as either being a watchman, someone who is guarding a city, or a shepherd keeps the sheep. So you have this idea of the Adam and Eve were to work and till this garden They were to be watchmen protecting, shepherding this garden. This was a site where we get to start learning how to work because you're going to need to take these skills as you go and start subduing and bringing under dominion this wild world that I have created. So this is inside the garden, but why do we start talking about rivers and Havilah and things of that nature here? This is actually pretty neat. Outside the garden, immediately in close context, God gives a description of what this land is like. It says, the gold in Havilah and the gold of this land is what? Good. This is is good gold. We have in verse 12, delium. Now, how many of us have delium? (laughs) I don't know. Maybe we do. So delium, it's actually a resin that's out of a tree that they have to take, they refine, they use it for in the manufacturing process of frankincense, but it also can is sometimes called tree pearls because as this resin would come out, it could be taken into these balls and they would polish them and it could be used as jewelry. So it, yeah, there you go. So delium, that's what it is. So, um, but then it also has onyx stones. Now this is where it gets cool. So onyx stones, these are, I, I have no idea okay, so what these, these are. I had to look this up. But onyx stones, they're actually found throughout the entire wor- world. You cannot go pan for onyx stones. They have to be mined. They are deep. And so basically, onyx stones, they're quartz. They're a quartz stone. It's a quartz stone of banded chalcedony, if you're interested. I don't know what chalcedony is, but that's what it is. But it can be all different colors except for blue and purple. There's not blue and purple um, onyx but all these different colors, but you have to dig deep to get to it. So you have this world that God puts the garden in the midst of, and they have good gold. How do you get gold? You mine it, you dig it, you refine it, you process it, and then you can have good gold. You have the delium, which has to be worked and refined, and the onyx stones, which have to be worked and refined. How do we know that all of these things were here? Because they did, and the intention was for them to do the hard work to be able to get the benefit of these resources that God had put them around. And this is pre-fall. Before the fall, they were intended to do the hard work to start subjugating the world and using the resources for itself. Adam and Eve, before the fall, were given a task of working to fill the earth with the image 
and the likeness of God. This command that they're called to do is called the cultural mandate. Some people will refer to that. And and that is referring to God's command in Genesis to fill the earth and subdue it and bring civilization through a wild world. There was one seminary professor who said God's intention, and get this, God's intention for pre-fall man would be to split the atom. Adam and Eve's intention was not to sit and play with the sheep on fluffy plants. It was to go and work and bring the world into subjection. And while you're doing it, you're going to take my image, my likeness, and fill the earth with it. I want to look in Revelation 21 and tell me if something sounds familiar about this. But we have, and we don't need to flip there, but we have a man started in the garden, right? But ultimately, a new Jerusalem is going to be coming down. A cubic mile, huge. What we find this new Jerusalem made of is gold and precious jewels and crystals. Sound familiar? The resources we find surrounding Eden. God is ultimately going to fulfill what he has called Adam and Eve to do. He's going to be the one who's going to do it with the new heavens, the new earth, and the new Jerusalem coming down with the resources that he has provided Adam and Eve at the very beginning. The purpose of God, purpose by God for man, purpose of man is to glorify God by filling the earth with his image and likeness and working to do that. God worked forming man into his image and likeness. God worked in planting the garden. Man worked by cultivating and keeping and tilling this home. God commanded man to subdue the whole earth, to bring it under subjection. He commanded them to have dominion over the living things, to carve, to scrape them out. God commanded man to multiply and fill the earth with his image and likeness. And God provided by putting man in a work site. It was going to be tough work, but it was ready for him. And God provided by filling the earth with the resources that they would need when they got there as they started filling. This is the purpose that man was created for. So now here's a question. What about us today? There's been a fall since then and now. We live in the fallen world. We have a fallen nature, flesh within us. We're churching with fallen people, fallen believers, and we're surrounded by fallen people. How does this truth relate to us? So today, and this is where it's going to be changed a little bit. Today, for you, your purpose is to glorify God by working to fill the earth 
with his very image and likeness. It's the same thing. We have the same created purpose that we find in Genesis 1. And if you look on the back of your paper, here, um, I want us to look at these because these are some New Testament um, passages that highlight and show we have the same call, the same purpose that Adam and Eve did. And so we're going to walk through this. First, we're going to find that God created us for this purpose. We have Ephesians 2.10. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We were created for good works that we are to be doing. And more specifically, what are some of these works that we're to be doing? 2 Corinthians 5, just this passage, such a great passage. We're going to look at this for a couple uh, different points here. He says, um, starting verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, new has come, and all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. Through Christ, God reconciled us to himself. He was the one that did this, but we were created for the purpose, but it flows right into the second point where God commanded us to this purpose of filling the earth. And continuing on there in verse 18, after reconciling us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You and I have been given the work of reconciling the lost to God. And he says, in entrusting to us the message of reconciliation, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We have the command to go and do the work to fill the earth with the image and likeness of God. Matthew 28, and we're all very familiar with this. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Right? We teach them to observe all that I have taught you. And we also see, though, in Philippians 2, that God has provided for us. And that was alluded to in uh, 2 Corinthians 5, where it says that he has given us that the word of reconciliation. He's given us um, the gospel. But in Philippians 2, God's provided for us because he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Why? For it is God who works in you both to will and work for his good pleasure. We aren't left alone to figure out how to fulfill this great calling on our own. God is the one who is working within us. And then in Ephesians 4, very tangibly, practically, how has God provided for us in the body? In verse 11 of chapter 4, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the pastors, the teachers, to equip the saints for works of service for building up of the body of Christ. This is what we're to be doing. We are to be doing the work of service to build up the body of Christ, but God has provided our pastors, the leaders, to equip us so that we can do that. God has created us, He has commanded us, but He has provided for us for the purpose of glorifying Him by working to fill the earth with His image. So, Let me give you another way that we can fulfill this purpose that God has called us to do. We can do one of two things. 
One of the things we could do is we can actually do the work and go to the ends of the earth, bringing the message of reconciliation that God has entrusted to us. You can go and make disciples, filling the earth with the image and likeness of God. Or you can go to work nine to five and earn money. And then take that money and send your brothers and sisters in Christ to go overseas. You can send them to go to the ends of the earth, making the disciples, reconciling the lost, and filling the earth with the image of God. Who knows what is happening next Sunday? We have Dexter and Jesse May. We know them. They're from our body. We know them. We love them. Brothers and sisters, we need to send them. We need to send them. They're going to Uganda. The church is supporting them. They have other churches that are going. But you and I need to go to work, earn the money, so that we can send them. They're from our body. In nine months from now, Lord willing, they will be on a plane flying to Uganda. I don't know why I'm crying. (laughs) Brothers and sisters, let's work and use the resources God has given us to send our brothers and sisters in Christ so that they can fulfill the call that God has given to us. The time to do that is now. By doing this, literally, we will be fulfilling our created purpose. The purpose God has called us to, to work, to fill the earth with the image of God. If this is not the lens that you have viewed your work, if this is not the worldview that you have viewed what we are doing with our nine to five, my prayer is that God will help change us. What we want to do is to be able to pray and say, God, today may I glorify you by working to fill the earth with your very image and likeness. You have created us for this purpose. You've commanded us for this purpose, but you've provided. You've provided. Find us faithful. Let's pray. Our God and Father, We thank you. We thank you that you have just so clearly given us the direction and the perspective that we should have on what we are called to do. Father, may you find us faithful to do the work to glorify you, to fill the earth 
with your image and likeness. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.